Our scripture reading comes from the book of Philippians. We'll read from chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. There's an old saying that we've shared a few times before. We do not see the world as it is, but as we are. We don't see the world as it is, but as we are. And that is the way that we are, the, the, there are pieces of our character, of the way that we think of our experiences that shape the way that we see the world. And our emotions also have the power to totally have a profound effect on the way that we seek, that we see and think about the world. It, it totally changes things. Whenever, whether we're feeling angry or upset or afraid, any of those things can drastically alter the way that we perceive a situation. And if we're in one emotional state and somebody near us is in another, we might experience those things in totally different ways. And so we're going to talk about that, on the effect that our emotions have on the way that we see the world and how we might be able to change that. We're in the middle of a sermon series. We're actually at the end of a sermon series called All the Feels, When Emotions Get the Best of Us. And we've been looking at different emotions that can lead us astray whenever they get out of control, whenever they get into the driver's seat. And so we've been talking about emotions like envy, like guilt, like anger, and fear. But where we started was with our hearts. And this is the verse that really set off the whole series. Above all else, guard your hearts for everything you do flows from it. Our hearts are the source of everything about us, of everything that is core to us. And, and whenever we get in situations where our emotions kind of bubble up and overflow, whenever they get into the driver's seat, what, what is revealed is not something about the emotions. It's not something foreign to us. It's what was already in our hearts. And so as we've been going through this series, we've been looking at those emotions and asking, how can we do the hard emotional work of becoming emotionally healthy so that whenever things that do bubble up, they're the things of God and not things that we regret. And so we've been looking at the ways that emotions can go awry. Um, This week, we're going to change up as we conclude the series and look at joy, uh, look at emotion that, that all of us want to feel more of. And um, I, I know that in my life, I would love to be joyful all the time. And uh, that is simply not the case for me. I know that's probably shocking, particularly to those of you who know me well, but, but there are times when I'm not particularly joyful. And, and so I want more of that. And I'm guessing that you might too, because joy is one of those emotions that, that can totally transform our day. Um, whenever we're going through our day and it's, it's been rough and things aren't going the way that we want them to and something joyful comes to us, then it totally transforms things. The rest of our day is totally different. And it's like that for, for larger periods of our lives as well. And so how can we get more joy? How can we experience that more often? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And that's difficult because we don't get to just choose our feelings. We don't just say, you know, whenever we're getting dressed, I'm going to put on these clothes and which emotion should I put on? I think I'm going to put on angry today or I'm going to put on fear today. It would be nice if we could just put on joy, but it's a little bit harder to that than that. It's a little bit more difficult than just saying, you know, I'm going to be more joyful and then have it happen. But there are things that we can do because while we don't control our feelings, while we don't choose our feelings, we do control our response to our feelings through thought and action, the way that that we think in response to those feelings and the way that we act 
in response to them. And so uh, Seth Gillihan is a psychologist at the University of Pennsylvania, and he says, you know, sometimes we're at the mercy of the way our nervous system reacts when provoked. And yet we're not merely passive recipients of our brain states. And this is what he concludes with, just as experiences outside of our control can shape our brains, we can also reshape them based on how we choose to think and to act. We can control the way that that we respond to those brain states. And we can even learn new ways of thinking and new ways of acting that will help us to have more positive thoughts in the future, that will help us to think in healthier ways that lead us into flourishing and into joy. And we can experience that regardless of whether we win the lottery or whether we're going through a difficult time. Because while you may not be able to ensure that your circumstances are joyful, you can choose joy even in difficult circumstances. Even whenever things are going badly, and, and you may have been in, in one of those situations recently, you know, if you, maybe you've been to um, a funeral and you had the opportunity to talk to someone that you haven't, haven't talked to in a long time and, and even shared a laugh. Sometimes in those moments of, of grieving, we can find healing and joy, even though things are difficult, even though things aren't going the way that we want them to. And, and so this is so important because we have the opportunity to experience God's joy. We, we get that opportunity regardless of where we are and regardless of our circumstances. Our circumstances will affect the way that we feel, but we can choose how we respond to that feeling. Because God has given us the gift of joy. It's up to us to receive it. We're the ones who have to make the choice to receive what God offers to us. And so that can be difficult. It can be difficult. We don't really know where to start because whenever we try to get more joy, um, it doesn't just happen. And so we know that there are obstacles to joy, and one of those starts with just understanding what is joy. What is joy really? And, and it's more than just happiness. It's not just the feeling that you get whenever you bite into chocolate. That's a lovely feeling. Whenever you take a sip of coffee, also a wonderful feeling. But, but there's something deeper than that. And this is how theologian Miroslav Volf defines it after, um, after taking a deep look at joy across traditions. He says, We can define joy as emotional attunement between the self and the world, usually a small portion of it experienced as blessing. Emotional attunement between the self and the world, a small portion of the world, experienced as blessing. And so we basically have these, these experiences of things that happen in the world. We have an experience with another person, um, with, with an object, with something that we're eating or drinking. We, we experience those things. And what determines whether the experience is joyful is our emotional attunement to that moment. Though in, in other words, the, the way that we're in harmony and whether or not we are with that, then how do we experience that? If we experience it as blessing, then the thing that we feel is joy. And if not, then we don't feel joy. And so there are all kinds of experiences that we can have that we really have the choice of how we're going to respond to that, whether we're going to choose to respond joyfully. And so if if you wake up in the middle of the night and you have a child crying and you have to go and change a diaper, that experience isn't necessarily joyful. I I know very few people who derive joy from the act of, of changing diapers. But if in that moment we're emotionally attuned to our relationship with our child and we experience that as an act of love, then we can receive that as a blessing. Not the actual experience of changing a diaper, which is always going to be gross, but the experience of caring for your child can become an experience of joy. 
we can experience that as joy even though the actual thing that we're doing is not terribly pleasant. And, and so the way that we orient ourselves toward our experiences, and the way that we think about our experiences is really crucial because our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions all influence one another. They all feed into one another and can affect the other ones. And, and this is particularly important whenever we get into negative frames of mind because negative thoughts often lead toward negative emotions and negative behaviors. And so sometimes whenever I get home after a a day that's been long and I'm not in a particularly good brain space, I'm feeling bad like I didn't accomplish all the things that I wanted to or maybe I, um, something that I did didn't turn out right and, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of just having these negative thoughts. And what I'll do is then I'll, I'll sit on the couch and not really feel like doing anything and then maybe I'll start scrolling through social media and you know how that goes. Um, as I shared last week, that rarely leaves me feeling better than where I started and so my feelings continue to be more negative and, and so I end up feeling even less like doing anything and continue to sit around and then think about about the things that I've seen on social media and my mood just kind of spirals down, these things interact and affect one another and it can really easily lead to, um, to a downward spiral. And this is particularly insidious whenever we're struggling with depression because depression makes it harder for us to do things that will make us feel better. And, and so it's really challenging because our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions are also integrally related. And whenever we experience those negative emotions, we often hear from them lies about the source of joy, about how can we become more joyful. Because we're only able to see those things, and whenever they get into the driver's seat, they really lead us astray. And so whenever we're wrestling with guilt, and particularly particularly whenever it bleeds into shame, we think, you know, I could be joyful if, if only I weren't so bad. If, if I were just not worthless or, or useless, if I just had more value, then, then I could experience joy. Or maybe if we're experiencing envy, if we're feeling envy, then I think, you know, if only I had more, then I could have joy. If if only my house were as big as my neighbor's, if only my kids were as well-behaved as theirs, if only I I had accomplished as much as they had, then I, I would feel joyful. Or maybe it's anger, you know, if, if only I had my way, if only this person didn't work with me, and, or if I could rearrange things the way that I wanted them, then I, I would feel joy. Or if we're trapped in fear, I think, you know, if I could feel joyful if only the world weren't so unsafe, if only there weren't threats looming around every corner, if only things um, weren't coming at me at any direction, if only I could take a risk. And where do these negative thoughts come from? Often the place that they come from is from our core beliefs about ourselves and about the world, these deeply seated core beliefs. Um, psychologists use that term to talk about beliefs that, uh, that come from our family of origin, sometimes from experiences of trauma, but that are so deeply seated that, that we don't even consciously hold them. They're just almost the, the, the bedrock, the kind of foundation. And so there are things like the belief that, that I have to be perfect if, if I'm going to be worth anything. I, I have to be perfect to be worthy of love. Or that the, the world is fundamentally against me. Or even the, if I'm going to get anything, I'm going to have to fight for it. These, these deeply seated beliefs that really color the way we see everything, that, um, that affect the way that we perceive every situation that we're in, every interaction, everything that we do. And they can have a tremendously negative effect if they're allowed to continue unchecked in our thought life. They can drag our emotions down and cause us to act in ways that that are harmful to us. 
And so I wonder, as you think about that, as you think about your past, your, your experiences, your, your family that you grew up in, your family system, what, what are your core beliefs? What are the things that, that you fundamentally believe about the world, that you fundamentally believe about yourself? And do you experience the world as a gift or as something that's owed to you? Or do you experience it as a threat? What is your fundamental outlook concerning the world? Because those beliefs, those deeply held, deeply seated convictions, whether we chose them or not, will affect every other aspect of our life. They'll bleed into our emotional life. They'll affect our relationships and everything else. So it's really crucial that we learn to identify those and that we learn to counter them whenever those core beliefs are negative. It's crucial that we learn to attune ourselves to joy. So how do we do that? How do we attune ourselves to joy? Well, looking at the fourth chapter of Philippians, Philippians is one of the most joyful books in the Bible. And and so Paul says this. You may um, sing it whenever you read it, um, if you did that in Bible school growing up. But rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say... Rejoice. Paul tells the people in Philippi to, to always rejoice in the Lord. And he goes on just a few verses later and actually gives them um, some instructions that help with that. Um, rejoicing in the Lord is a good thing. You know, you say, okay, I want to rejoice, but don't I need to feel a little bit of joy first? Well, he gives them a way to do that. And so he says, finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. What Paul was, was aware of is that our thought life shapes the way we see and experience the world. The things that we think about shape everything about us. It's like we just talked about. The, our thoughts shape our emotions, which shape our, our actions, and the things that we think about will cause us to act in certain ways. And so what he teaches them is to be mindful about where they focus their thoughts and specifically to put their thoughts on things that are good. You know, Paul goes through that really long list and, and that's similar to lists that you can find in um, some Greco-Roman literature and, and also in some Jewish literature. And it's not a particularly or an exclusively Christian list. Paul's really just kind of listing out things that are good, if they're true, if they're just, if they're holy, if they're all of those things. And, and so really what he's trying to direct them to is goodness. Focus your mind on things that are good. Focus your mind on positive thoughts. And, and it's not, you know, not just things that only things that are in the Bible. Paul recognizes that if something is good, it's of God. That God is the source of all goodness. And so he instructs the people at Philippi to put their minds on those things. Because when we, when we do that, we can actually attune our mind to goodness. We attune our mind to goodness, and we begin to experience the world as blessing, as Volv talked about, whenever we see things as, as blessing, whenever we focus on things that are good, you know. And I'm not just talking about thinking positive for the sake of it, you know. Not, oh, I just spilled coffee on, on my pants and, and it's fine. This, these, these blisters will feel great. That's not what we're talking about. There are things that, that are not going to be good and, and we're not going to say something is good just um, because we're trying to think positive. But we're looking for God's goodness even in the midst of difficult circumstances, looking for things that are true, that are just, that are all of those things that are commendable and admirable. And we're seeking those things. And we're seeking to fill our mind with those things. 
And as we begin to focus on God's goodness and to focus the things, on the things in the world that God has created and made good, on all of the blessings that are available to us, we then begin to challenge the things that come into our thoughts that are not good. We challenge the negative thoughts and beliefs that lead us away from what our core identity is, that takes us away from, that, from who God truly created us to be. Because those core beliefs, particularly those negative core beliefs that we talked about earlier, don't have any basis in truth. You know, just because I believe the world is a fundamentally threatening place doesn't make it true. Just because I believe the world is out to get me doesn't make it true. It may be something I believe, but, but it doesn't have any ground in the truth. And so what we really want to ground our, our thoughts and emotions is, is not just what we happen to come to believe because of the circumstances of our upbringing. What we want to ground our beliefs in is in what's the most true thing about us. And so whatever you're doing right now, you may be getting ready for lunch or maybe you're scrolling and you've got this window open in the corner of your screen. And, and, and I'm, I'm sure most of you are, are in rapt attention to what I'm saying, but whatever you're doing, I want you to stop. And look at the screen, look me in the eyes. And what I want you to know is that what is most important about you, the most important thing about you, is that you are a beloved child of God. The most important thing about you is that you are a beloved child of God. And anything else, anything else, what you've achieved, how many people are in your family, whether you have children, whether you're married or divorced or single or any of those things, whatever you've gone through, whatever your past, any of those things, how emotionally healthy you are, none of those things matter compared to that one truth that is at the core of who you are, that you are a beloved child of God. And there is no one God loves more than God loves you. No one. That is the truest thing about you. And all of those negative thoughts that come that whenever we think, you know, I'm, I'm just a failure, I'm not good enough, I, I, if only I were better, if only I had accomplished more, all of those things are lies. They, there may be things that lead us to come to those, but at their foundation, they're lies. Because what is most true about us the core of who we are, a core identity, is his beloved children of God, people whom God has chosen and whom God loves. And we see this throughout the scripture. And so we see it in, in Psalm 139. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. That I know very well. And those wonderful works include us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. We also see in Jeremiah 31, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. God loves us with an everlasting love. And this is what 1 John 3, 1 says, See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That is what is most fundamentally true about us. That is who we are at our core. All of the other things, all of the emotional baggage, all of the other things in our history, all of those are just things that have fallen upon us. But what is at our core is that, children of God, that is what we are. And that's difficult for us to accept because we, we've experienced those negative thoughts, we've experienced those core beliefs so often that, that it's often difficult for us to actually accept the truth about ourselves 
This is what spiritual writer Henri Nouwen says. He says, personally, as my struggle reveals, I don't often feel like a beloved child of God, but I know that it is my, that that is my most primal identity. And I know that I must choose it above and beyond my hesitations. And for all of us, that's the difficult work that we have to do of remembering who we are at our core, remembering what is most important about us. And whenever those negative thoughts come, whenever those doubts arise, whenever those self-recriminations come, is, is banishing them, is holding up against them the truth of who we really are, that we are beloved children of God. And so then we can, as Paul, as Paul commands us, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We can rejoice because we know who we truly are, and we know what is most important about us. And we know that no matter what circumstances we're going through, no matter what loss we experience, no matter the trials, the things that people say about us, any of those things, we know that what is most important about us is God's acceptance. And that's unconditional. None of those, anything, none of, none of those, any of those other things can touch it. None of any of those other things can touch it. Even whenever you say the same line three times and can't get it to come out right, nothing can touch it because what is most fundamentally about me whenever I'm trying to speak is that I'm a beloved child of God. And so when we know who we are, we can rejoice even when we're rejoicing in spite of. Whenever we're rejoicing in spite of the circumstances, I had a colleague this week who lost his mother, and she'd been under hospice care for a while. And, and um, about four days, whenever they'd been um, keeping vigil with her, they, he was talking with his sisters, and he shared on Facebook, you know, we're, we're treasuring the small joys even as we grieve. And the stories they were able to share, the time that they had with their mother, the time that they had together, they were able to receive that as a blessing, even in the midst of terrible grief. And whenever we experience God's joy, that doesn't mean that everything else goes away. It doesn't mean that we magically transform our circumstances and everything is good. We'll still have trials. We'll still have struggles. We'll still feel fearful and angry and anxious and all of those things. But our experience of those things is transformed because we know who we are. We know what is most true about us. We know that we are loved. And when we're attuned to our core identity, we can experience God's blessing in any circumstances, even in the most difficult circumstances. Even five months into COVID, and I've got to figure out what to do with my kids, and and I just cannot stand being in my house any longer, and this mask is driving me crazy. We can find God's blessings in those things. That we have the opportunity to spend time with our children, that all of the things that come with that, we can find ways that God blesses us, even in the midst of of struggles. And as we experience that joy, God transforms our hearts and our minds. And all the feels begin to be transformed as well. All of God's good emotions that we experience are purified, and we begin to have a purified heart as God transforms us. Paul said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And as we experience that joy, as we learn to guide our thoughts to focus on God's goodness, on the things of God, then our minds are transformed and our hearts are transformed as well. And as we grow in emotional health, God, our families, and our communities, and not our emotions, will get the very best of us. And so here are our action steps for this week, a few ways that we can seek to live this out 
Um, first, I want to challenge you to monitor your thoughts and moods, to, to pay attention to the things that you're feeling and the things that you're thinking. Because it's so easy for them to get into the driver's seat whenever we're not paying attention, whenever we just think, you know, the way that I'm feeling is the way that I ought to feel. It's, it's the, the given feeling for this situation. And, of course, that's not the case. That So much about us changes the way that we perceive things. And so whenever we recognize those things, then we can stop them from getting control of us. And so monitor your thoughts and moods. And, and even sometimes it helps. One of the things that uh, many therapists recommend is, is writing those down particularly whenever you experience those negative thoughts about yourself, about others, about the situation that you're in, write those down. And then you can begin to ask, is that really true? Or is that a lie that I've come to believe? Is that something that's coming out of my negative core beliefs that I've internalized? But as we monitor them, then we can begin to transform them. And then set your mind on God's blessings. Our blessings are everywhere, and if we just pay attention to them, then we can begin to experience joy in a new way. And so paying attention to, to the blessings that God has put in your life, you know, whether that's really enjoying a cup of coffee, whether that's seeing an opportunity for a conversation and the love you share with a friend or with a family member, whether that's having a really good pen and, and enjoying the writing experience. You can do this anytime you walk outside and just enjoying God's creation. But whenever we talk about enjoyment, what we're really talking about is experiencing God's joy. And so set your mind on God's blessings. Pay attention to those things and delight in them because God delights in our delight. And then finally, every day this week, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Thank you for choosing me as your beloved child. Thank you for choosing me as your beloved child. And then remember, what is really true about me is that I'm God's child and none of those other things matter. And repeat it so that it begins to seep into your heart and that you believe it. Because at our core, that's who we are. And we find joy in that. And because of that, we can rejoice in any situation. A few weeks ago, Courtney and I had the opportunity to spend time with our grandfathers. It was back to back, and, um, and they're both over 80. And we were spending time in, in almost, remark, in, almost um, in remarkable circumstances that were very similar. And we were in their living rooms, and our daughter was playing on the floor in front of them, had some toys, and, you know, was just letting her mind go wild. And, and I had both of them, her grandfather and my grandfather, said the exact same thing. I love to watch her play. You know, that's something that happens every day in my house that, that I mostly just let go by, you know, it's what a five-year-old does. But it was such a powerful reminder of this amazing blessing that, that I overlook every day. And so I want to be the kind of person, like our grandfathers, who see God's blessings in the midst of the ordinary. That's my prayer for you as well. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.